You are listening to a podcast produced by the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. Follow this and our other podcasts on nzcpr.com. Welcome to our podcast for the 18th of September 2023, presented by Dr. Muriel Newman. The polls suggest Labour is about to suffer a historic and humiliating defeat on the 14th of October. Clearly, voters have had enough. Labour's performance during its six years in power is a litany of failure. Clearly, it can't campaign on its record. Instead, Labour is making promises that are simply not credible. And a number of its senior MPs have been caught out telling lies to scare voters about a National Act government. But what will a new government do to address the multitude of problems our country now faces? Here's Muriel Newman. The battle lines have been drawn. The campaign to win the right to govern New Zealand has begun. And four recent polls show the tide is going out for Labour. The Roy Morgan poll has National on 31%, Labour on 24%, ACT on 18%, the Greens on 12.5%, New Zealand First on 5.5% and the Maori Party on 4%. On this poll, the wasted vote for parties that won't make it into Parliament is 6%. In effect, their votes will be divvied up and reallocated proportionally to successful parties. The Roy Morgan analysis shows that overall, Labour gains marginally more support from women than men, with significantly more support from older rather than younger women. In contrast, the green support comes mostly from women, especially younger women. National has slightly more support from men than women, especially older men, while ACT's support comes mainly from men, particularly older men. As expected, New Zealand's first main support comes from the older age group, particularly women, and for the Maori Party, it's younger women. Three other polls all have national at around 36%, Labour at between 26 and 30%, Act and the Greens between 11 and 14% each, and New Zealand First between 4 and 6%. It's said that opposition parties don't win elections, that governments lose them. And that's certainly what's playing out in 2023. Labour's record in government is so bad that they're not only unable to campaign on it, but they can't even promise their way to victory with any credibility. Reality is confronting Labour. Chris Hipkins and Jacinda Ardern have led the worst government in New Zealand's history. Virtually everything they've touched has ended in failure. They've not only left New Zealand with broken social services that are struggling to adequately deliver even the basics, but they've saddled the country with crippling levels of debt that will take decades of careful financial management to bring under control. Worse, during the last three years, when New Zealanders trusted them to govern alone, Labour's arrogance and contempt for the public good knew no bounds. Secret agendas, 
Bullying, intimidation, misrepresentation and outright lies have underscored Labour's term in office as they sought to manipulate both the public and the media. The harm they have caused our country is incalculable and it will take a Herculean effort from a new government to repair the damage and heal the deep divisions Labour has created. To cover up their disastrous record in government, Labour's election strategy is to go negative. Their focus is to attack national and act to try to discredit any potential new government in the eyes of voters. They also have their guns aimed at New Zealand first to prevent that party from entering Parliament. To achieve their objective, Labour appears to have given their team a carte blanche to lie on the campaign trail. As a result, misinformation is rife. Cabinet Minister Willie Jackson lied when he claimed a National Act government would scrap the minimum wage. Minister Andrew Little lied they would sack all teachers and flog off schools. Northcote MP Shannon Halbert lied about how they would halve sick pay days. And staffers lied they would reintroduce interest on student loans. But Prime Minister Hipkins surely takes the cake when he claimed the COVID vaccine mandates that he introduced were not compulsory. Quote, there was no compulsory vaccination. People made their own choices, end quote. Really? If a loaded gun is pointed at your head in the form of losing your job if you didn't get vaccinated, isn't that compulsion? Apparently not, according to Chris Hipkins. Even the Disinformation Project has issued a warning that our politicians have a responsibility to help to counter false information, not contribute to it. Ironically, the party that claimed to be leading the war against misinformation and disinformation is now the main offender. That irony will not go unnoticed, even by Labour's own support base. Furthermore, if the full-page newspaper advertisements attacking National that were funded by Labour's trade union supporters are a signal of what's in store, the party that won majority support in 2020 on a mantra of kindness may well be seen as a party of nastiness. And if that perception of Labour as a nasty party takes hold, their disillusioned supporters may well stay home instead of turning out to vote. The big question of election 23 will then become, how low can they go? Labour's worst election result in the MMP era was in 2014, when, under David Cunliffe, they won 25% of the party vote. With recent polls already having Labour in the mid-20s, will they fall beneath that crucial 20% threshold? If they do, they will suffer the sort of political wipeout from which it will be very difficult to recover but a wipeout is exactly what the Labour Party deserves, as no other government in New Zealand's history has treated voters with the level of arrogance and contempt shown by the Jacinda Ardern-Chris Hipkins 2020 Labour government. There are many questions for a new government. Will they sweep aside the Orwellian shroud of fear that thanks to Jacinda Ardern hangs over our country, to restore genuine free speech and open debate? 
Will they reject the rabid intolerance she introduced towards anyone expressing a view contrary to that of the government? Her totalitarian approach to dissent was so aggressive that opposition politicians were too scared to even talk to the anti-mandate protesters camped out on Parliament's grounds for fear they'd be labelled anti-vaxxers. And even though she's now gone, they remain petrified of being called climate deniers or racists. Will a new government break the stranglehold that woke ideology now has on the country? Will a new government instigate a proper investigation into Jacinda Ardern's management of the COVID pandemic so we can learn from the now obvious errors that were made? Will a new government pledge to undertake a root and branch review of climate policy to remove Labour's fraudulent measures that are now costing New Zealand's households dearly? Will a new government restore equality in the rule of law and undo Ardern's identity politics that has divided our country? One of the most heinous actions of the Labour government must surely have been their tribal co-governance agenda that they kept hidden from the public. And when Hipurpur was exposed, they downplayed and disguised the widespread establishment of power-sharing arrangements with iwi separatists. This week's guest commentator, research scientist and author Dr John Robinson, outlines the devastating implications for our society. Quote, In New Zealand, there is now separation into two people, the minority indigenous Maori and all others who are second-class citizens. This division is by race, in legislation, where any drop of Maori ancestry, no matter how little, places a person into a privileged group. There are now separate rights that are constantly added to, so that the division has become increasingly absolute. Different and vastly unequal voting rights, many specified special powers over the sea, rivers, lakes and mountains, and all water systems, different education and health systems, different rights and law where the old tribal tikanga is given special status, end quote. And if anyone needs a concrete example of how dangerous introducing tikanga or Maori custom into the law really is, they need look no further than the debacle over the Marine and Coastal Area Act, where it has led to the courts delivering the exact opposite of what Parliament intended. This whole fiasco was triggered when activist Court of Appeal judges issued a ruling in 2003 that customary title might still exist in the foreshore and seabed, which was owned by the Crown under common law. The resulting flood of tribal claims for the coast forced Helen Clark's Labour government to legislate in favour of Crown ownership. The 2004 Foreshore and Seabed Act allowed tribal claims for the coast, but as guardians, not owners. In 2011, at the behest of their Maori Party coalition partner, National introduced the Marine and Coastal Area Act to repeal Crown ownership and open up the foreshore and territorial sea for tribal claims. The new law specified two legal tests. The claimed areas had to be held not only according to tikanga, but also exclusively and continuously since 1840. 
With ownership of the coast the prize, almost 600 overlapping claims flooded in, 200 to the High Court and the balance for direct negotiation with the Crown. In a landmark decision in the first High Court case, Judge Churchman ruled that holding the claimed area according to Tikanga was sufficient to justify awarding title to multiple claimants on a shared basis. The court had elevated the importance of tikanga to the point where the property rights test of whether the claimed area was held exclusively and continuously since 1840 was not even considered. Since that decision could set a precedent for tribal ownership of New Zealand's entire coastline, the NZCPR raised the funds to have the case appealed to the Court of Appeal. That hearing was held in February, and we've now been advised that we should expect a decision shortly. If the appeal is found in our favour, the property rights test will need to be applied in all Marine and Coastal Act cases. But if the original decision stands that only tikanga is needed to claim ownership of the foreshore and seabed, then almost the entire coastline of New Zealand will fall into tribal hands. When National introduced the new law, they assured the public that customary title would cover only a minority of the coastline. Thanks to tikanga, the exact opposite is the likely outcome. It is surely the responsibility of National to correct this miscarriage of justice and fix the law. But at this stage, only New Zealand First is pledging a solution. They want to repeal the Marine and Coastal Area Act and restore Crown ownership of the foreshore and seabed. Dr Robinson believes Labour's ultimate objective is apartheid. Quote, the intention is for an end to democracy. The intended future is set down in the Hipurpur report, where the aim is for two unequal systems of government that would be fully developed New Zealand apartheid. This is a broken country. End quote. Labour has indeed broken our country. In spite of widespread public opposition, they abolished the democratic right enshrined in law by Helen Clark's Labour government for communities to reject Maori wards. They bulldozed through three waters to pass control of fresh water from democratically elected councils to tribal groups. They established a Maori health authority to prioritise Maori patients over others in greater need. And throughout the whole public service, a Maori world view and co-governance now dominates. On October the 14th, New Zealand will either continue its decline into an apartheid-ridden tribal backwater, or a new government will begin the process of restoring our nation to the great country we should be. Let's hope voters make the right choice. That's it for this week. Don't forget to visit www.nzcpr.com if you'd like to register for our free newsletter, take part in our poll, or access a treasure chest of valuable information. See you soon. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by NZCPR Media.